Welcome to the High Income Business Writing Podcast, helping you propel your writing business to a whole new level. And now, here's your host, Ed Gandia. Hey there, welcome to the High Income Business Writing Podcast. I am your host, Ed Gandia, and this is the podcast for business writers and copywriters who want to earn more and less time doing work they love for better clients. You can find detailed show notes for this episode at b2blauncher.com forward slash episode 215. Those notes always include a summary of our discussion as well as any links to resources we mention during the episode. You know, when you're running your own business, it's critical that you muster the confidence you need to grow and to do better every year. You no longer have the safety of a day job with a steady paycheck or a team of coworkers who are all working together to make things happen. It's all on you. But how do you find the confidence to push yourself? That's the topic of today's episode. My guest is Laura Khalil, and she is a keynote speaker and trainer who shares courageous leadership skills to help ambitious women and allies in tech succeed. After hitting the glass ceiling in 2013, Laura launched her own tech marketing consultancy, quickly amassing a roster of global brands such as Intel, Twitter, GE, and more. And she did that without having connections or relationships in those companies. She did it from scratch. She's a master storyteller, award-winning brand marketer, and dedicated researcher of human behavior. Although much of what we talk about in this episode is about how women can improve their performance, the advice applies to men and women alike. I hope you enjoy our discussion. Laura, welcome to the show. Great to have you here. Ed, thank you so much for having me. I cannot wait to dive into this episode with you. Yeah, likewise. Likewise, very excited about what we're going to be talking about today. But before we go there, why don't you give us a little bit of background? You know, you came from the world that my listeners and I are in and and came from, and I'm just really interested in hearing a bit of your origin story. There's a lot of really cool things there, and I think it's important for listeners to understand where you're coming from. Absolutely. Happy to share. So let me go way back because I've had a couple of career transitions. The first one, I started my career in publishing. And I decided after a number of years that I wanted to move to Silicon Valley. I had dreamt of living in San Francisco. And so I, and I did. And I ended up landing in technology, which was a brand new field for me. And I was working at that point in content marketing, social media, PR, kind of wearing a number of hats. I am typically known as a pretty ambitious, driven woman. And I grew up being taught, if you just work hard, people will notice. And this whole idea around it being a meritocracy, which if any of our listeners maybe aren't as familiar with that, you'll, I'll explain the myth of meritocracy right now. So. I was taught, hey, just go do good work. So I'd go into the boardroom and I'd advocate for my projects and plans and marketing strategies and writing and all that stuff, just like the guys would. And that's a very natural sort of personality trait for me. And one day my boss pulled me aside and he told me he had some feedback for me. And I said, okay, I'm here to learn. What do you got? And he said, well, Laura, I'm hearing from the men in the boardroom that you're intimidating them. (laughs) So yeah. Seriously. And so he said, we're going to need you to soften your language and smile more. Uh, That did not 
go over too well for me. And eventually I would go from company to company. And as I would go from each of these companies, I would pick up more skills for my content marketing toolkit, as I like to put it along the way. So I became really proficient in storytelling. I became very proficient in PR and pitching in certain brand strategies, content strategies. And I was working specifically in tech. And so this would go on for a number of years where I'd kind of like go to one company and then, you know, my boss would pull me aside and tell me something to like, you're just too much. You need to soften your language. You need to tone it down. And by 2013, I'd had enough of that. And I said, I don't think there's anything wrong with me. I think that I'm being judged primarily on my personality, which is something that's really common for women, is women are actually more commonly judged on their personality traits than actually on their accomplishments. We see that a lot in performance reviews. But anyhow, I had enough. And I said, I know I'm good at my job. I know I know what I'm doing. And I don't think I'm cut out for the full-time world. So I left and I started my own marketing consulting practice. Now, for anyone who's listening, you know, that sounds like a big word, like, oh, a marketing consultant. What is that about? I was a writer, primarily. I was a storyteller, but I understood how to brand myself. And we can talk more about that, Ed, as we go on. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, I said, I am a technology marketing consultant because I knew tech. I knew how to talk to developers. I'd been doing it for years. My steps at that point were I built a website. I went on LinkedIn. I went on Twitter. I told everyone I knew. And that website was pretty darn basic. Just had my what I do, services I offer, a contact me form, and a portfolio page. And I would go on Twitter. I'd go on LinkedIn. And I'd tell people, hey, I'm open for business. And an interesting thing began to happen. Within the first six weeks of me launching this business, I was contacted by Intel and they were looking for someone who had a lot of experience in technology marketing and I sort of checked all the boxes for them. And so I immediately got brought in and hired onto that account. And then I began to work with people like GE, Intuit, Twitter, and others of that level. And it wasn't that hard. You know, I think people get really scared by this whole thing about working with corporate clients and large scale clients, but they're just like you. They have needs that they need solved. And if you know, the key is knowing how to speak to them in their language. And when you can do that, you can really build a very lucrative career for yourself and a very fulfilling career without running around trying to collect 100 clients. You can have a six-figure business as I did with one or two. And I also just want to loop back to something I mentioned earlier. I mentioned all the trouble I was having in the professional desk job lifestyle. And all those traits that penalized me as a full-time employee were my greatest assets as a leader and entrepreneur. So I would say to anyone who feels like they're having a tough time in the corporate world, it's probably because you're destined for leadership. And it may be that you are well positioned for the entrepreneurial life, which is certainly not a walk in the park, but it's a challenge that I have loved pursuing for seven years now. You know, that's a really good point, what you hit on there last, because I find that many of us who came from the corporate world or from just a traditional day job, 
we were used to the work just kind of landing on our desk, metaphorically speaking, right? So it's like there, it just lands on your desk and you're processing work. Mm -hmm. It comes in and it goes out. When you are out on your own, it's a different skill set that you need need to have. And you need to, I hate to use the word hustle because it's got negative connotations Mm -hmm. these days, but you really have to hustle and you have to hunt. You have to be hungry. You have to be hungry. And those are, you know, it's not, the work is not going to come to you. You got to go find the work. Exactly. So it's very, I never thought about that, but there are many qualities that you may have as an employee that are maybe setting you back, especially as a woman. That's a really good point mm-hmm. that I want to hit on, um, yeah. but will actually serve you really, really well when you go out on your own. So absolutely. Yeah. There's a lot I want to unpack. <laughs> Where do you want to start? Right. So <laughs> let's talk about a couple of things. I don't want to spend too much time on oh my gosh, how did you land those amazing clients? Because I think there's some deeper issues here. But I do want to touch on that. You know, Intel, you said they contacted you within six weeks. GE. Yes. Were these relationships or was it you're open for business and suddenly they find you? These were not relationships. Okay. I did not know these people. In fact, well, I will say that after I built those relationships, then I ran more of a referral business mm-hmm. because people would move on and then they'd refer me to their new company and stuff like that. But with my first two large clients being GE and Intel, I'm going to tell you how I found them. And I'm not saying this because guys, you need to go run and do exactly the same thing, but I'm saying you need to be this opportunistic. So what I did is I went on Twitter and I had a saved Twitter search. And that save search was something like contract marketing or contract writer. I probably had like 10 save searches on there. And so every day I'd go through my save search list and I'd see what came up. 90% of it's junk. I want to point out, I did business development like it was my job. So I went on a lot of calls with people who were not qualified to work with me. I talked to a lot of people who, you know, want something for nothing. But I was really clear on wanting to work with big companies. So I had that vision in mind. And so I would look at these safe searches. And what came up uh, actually with both cases was that there was a somebody within those organizations who was a little scrappy. They were kind of doing things a little bit under the radar. They were trying to move at a faster speed. If you haven't worked with large companies, you will know that things move a little slowly. Mm -hmm. They take time. And so they were trying to kind of go under the radar. And so they'd post on Twitter, hey, I'm kind of looking for a, maybe it could have been a technical writer, a content person, a developer marketing person. And so I would leap on that and I would message them. And all I would say was, this is what I do. And here is a link to my portfolio. And because my work is very well targeted to those types of clients, I was one of the only developer marketing consultants in the world. So of course, when they see what I do, they see I'm prepared to do it. It becomes, it's an easy sell, but you want to find people who are ready to buy and they were ready to buy. And when you're working with companies of that size, they have money to pay you. Gotcha. So you focused on those that already had an identified need. They were actively looking and it was obvious. And then the other piece was your positioning. The fact that you were very, very focused and you were able to demonstrate your experience and focus. Exactly. And some people will disagree with me on this, but this is the key to my success. The key to my success is having a very clear niche that I work in and a very clear market that I serve. Some people, 
I do not recommend people be generalists. That's just because that did not work for me. I felt that it was constantly watering down my value because everyone, you know, then you're competing with everyone. Yeah. I was competing with like no one because nobody did this or very, very few people actually did what I did. And not to say that I was a rocket scientist in any way, shape or form. I just think that a lot of the people who are in technical marketing as I was are not comfortable freelancing. So they don't. Yeah. No. And listen, you're in great company. That's exactly what we preach here is you need to get targeted with your positioning. So that's perfect. The other thing I would say is, I don't know if you had this experience, but many times it's not like necessarily that you're the only one. It's that you're the only one that's who's easy to find right now. Right. Right. Exactly. It, like these people, especially in the bigger companies, they don't have the time, the energy, or the desire to do this like massive search. Make it easy. Yeah. It's like she came to me. She looks qualified. Sounds good. Yep. Let's take it to the next step, which is maybe a conversation. Yeah. It all checked out. We clicked. And you know, what's Good the enough. risk to them? I mean, the, it's not like I'm a full-time employee. You got to remember, for folks who are listening who are like, oh my gosh, I don't know how to write a contract for $10,000, $200,000, especially when you're pretty much under like, let's say $50,000 threshold with some of these companies, that's okay. Like you're not a full-time employee. If they don't like working with you, it's very little money to them. You yeah. know what I'm saying? People think like that's big money. It's not big money when we're dealing with multi-billion dollar businesses. So it is very low risk for them to try you out. And if you do a good job, they will keep you around. I'm assuming that you maybe with some of them started with a maybe a one project, a pilot project just to feel each other out. Yes. So when I, Intel, we started with a small project. We were doing social media for them on a specific channel that they had. And as we worked together, as the client gained confidence in me, I began to expand the scope of work with them and began working with different teams there. And, you know, it wasn't that hard, but I want to say to anyone who considers themselves just a writer, you are not going to be able, in my opinion, to make multi-six figures as just a writer. You need to think about yourself in a much bigger way. You are providing a solution. You may be providing strategy. You are a professional. You are not just a wordsmith. You are so much more than that. And so I want you to think about branding yourself as more than just, oh, I write blog posts. No, 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 no. You solve problems for companies. And when you solve problems, then you make a lot of money doing it. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. The days of I'm a writer, a writer for hire. Yeah. Uh, those Forget days are it. gone. Yeah. You're, that's where you're competing with the fivers and the upworks of the world. You don't even want to be there. You want to be on a whole different level. And so solve problems and be a professional. I cannot say this enough. Show up to meetings on time. Do what you're going to say you're going to do. Talk to the client. Be proactive. Be communicative and responsive. And it will make all the difference. I couldn't agree more. That's Excellent advice. I'll play devil's advocate and then we can switch mm. gears a bit. One of the objections I've heard to that or the concerns I should say is, yeah, but you know, the bigger the organization, the better defined a scope they have and the more clear they are on what they want and the less responsive they are to these messages of, I do much more than the writing. What are your thoughts on that having worked with so many big clients? 
Well, I mean, I don't think that's wrong. I do think that they have a clear scope, but I want you to think about yourself as an agency. And I want you to think of yourself as I still provide solutions. So when you go into those meetings with the client, you act like a solution provider, not, you know, someone they pulled off a shelf and can replace easily. Most people don't think about their job in that way. And so when you start acting that way, the client says, wow, there's more here. So like I said, we started off with Intel and we were just doing one little thing. But when they saw, hey, this lady knows what she's talking about. Hey, there's some really cool strategy behind this. They expanded the scope. So yeah, you may start you know, in a very specific area, but it's up to you to show them the other value that you bring. Absolutely. And by the way, even if you're just starting out in one little thing, make darn well sure that you get well paid for it. And especially with these types of clients. Absolutely. Yeah. In fact, you're setting the tone. And if you're setting the wrong tone, that if actually going to turn them off, it's not going to serve either one of you. So yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, I don't know, you've probably talked about this on the show, but like there's very specific pricing strategies you can adopt with clients. I do not recommend ever doing hourly. Yeah. I strongly recommend a retainer or a project rate, you know, depending on what it is, but hourly is going to kill you. And it also devalues you because the more experience you have, the faster you can do things. So why should you be paid less for it? It places the focus on the wrong thing. It places the focus on time instead of your value. So I'm with you a hundred percent. One of the things that I wanted to touch on, Laura, is this issue of confidence because you know, on the surface, this sounds great. Wow, what an awesome story. Mm-hmm. She was done with corporate mm-hmm. and just to, you know, what she had to deal with there. She goes out on her own. She starts talking to Intel, GE. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm putting myself in that situation and I'm thinking, wow, how did you muster the confidence to do that? Where did you find that? You know, that's a, I, were you scared to death? How did you deal with that? Can you? Tell us a little bit about that. I was nervous. I'm not going to say like I wasn't nervous. I was definitely nervous. But I want to share how I approach human beings. And and this is the GEs, the Intels. I've sat in the room with the board of directors for some of the largest companies in the world. I've sat in rooms with, you know, writers starting out. And I treat everyone as my equal. So that is the first thing. You are no better. You are no worse than me. You are just another human being having an experience on this planet. And maybe I have something of value for you. So that's the first thing. People get tripped up because we put people on pedestals. And when we put people on pedestals, we minimize ourselves. We minimize our experience. We minimize our gifts. We minimize what we can offer. So just treat everyone like, hey, it's like you're pretend you just met this person you know, at a restaurant or at a coffee shop, you wouldn't know who they were. Just treat them like a regular old human being, just as you would want to be treated. So that's the first thing to get over that fear of talking to people. The second thing I would say is sometimes you lose and sometimes you learn. So these treat these as learning experiences, okay? Even if you lose, you lose a contract, you lose a bid, learn from it. And that's your choice. So I'll tell you a funny story. This was early on. I was talking to someone on the phone, a prospective client, and they said to me, okay, Laura, so what would you charge for this content strategy? 
And I thought, oh my goodness, what am I going to charge? And I sort of worked out the numbers and I worked it back from my hourly rate, mistake number one. And I said, I'm going to charge $15,000 to do this. And I'm thinking, holy mackerel, that's a lot of money. The client then says to me on the phone, I'm sorry, did you say $50,000? And I said, oh, no, 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 15. And he responded and he said, oh, okay, thanks. Because everyone else has been charging us around 50. And I'll tell you what, I never made that mistake again. But um, I learned from it, right? I said, oh my gosh, I'm so embarrassed. But I learned, I never made that mistake. I learned to never charge by my value. I learned to charge by what my value is to the company. And for some companies, that's $50,000. For other companies, it's fifteen. And you have to work that out in the process of really listening to them and getting to know them. Heard it said that you should never shop with your wallet or you, in other words, you should never use your wallet as the measure because something that sounds really big to you yep. might sound really small to them. And that could be a turnoff, right? If everyone's at 50, you're at 15. Yeah. Gee, does she Who, know what what's she's wrong doing? with you? Yeah. Yeah. I'm right? with you. I love that. It's a, what I'm hearing here is that look, use these as, as learning experiences. Yeah, you got to make these mistakes. And you just know, I think if you know going into it that you are going to make mistakes, not everything's going to be perfect. You Everything, can, yeah, just keep going. Everything's like a dress rehearsal. And sometimes it'll hit and sometimes it'll won't, it won't hit. And you just take that experience and you get better next time. Any other ideas? I love this concept of treating everyone as an equal, not putting people on a pedestal. Any other maybe tips or hacks or yeah. mindset resets that you've seen work well? Because when you're in that situation, I think a lot of people feel like, oh, I got to buy confidence off the shelf. Can I order that from Amazon? You right. know, And it doesn't quite work that way, but all, there are some tricks that you can use in the moment. Yeah. So a few things I'll say is, uh, first one is everyone grows right at the border between support and challenge. So it is normal to be challenged. If you are trying to live a life where you're only supported and nothing difficult or hard ever happens to you, you're not going to go anywhere. So embrace the challenges that you want because those are the challenges that are going to help you grow. So the first thing is when I get nervous about going into present in front of the board of directors and literally sing for my supper, which is what I had to do with one of my last clients, I said, well, what's the benefit to me doing this? How am I going to, even if I fail and I don't get the contract, how is this moment preparing me for what's coming up next? And so get into that mindset of why is this such a great thing that's going to help me in my career regardless of outcome? Mm. Second yes. of all, remember, especially women get into this thing where they just want to be liked and they just get really nervous when people don't like them. And I just want to tell you, it's very, very normal and natural that not everybody in a room that you walk into to pitch or to talk to is going to love you. I like to say about 20% are going to be absolutely crazy about you. They're going to be eating out of your hand. They're going to be digging it. About 70% are going to be like, yeah, okay, cool. All right, got it. And then you're going to have a bottom 10 to 20% who are going to be like, I don't understand what this woman or man is talking about. I don't see that how this helps our business. I'm not even sure why I'm in this meeting. I don't get what this is about. Forget about them. 
forget about the bottom 20%. They're not your people. I want you to just realize not everyone's going to love you. Focus on the vast majority of people who are your advocates in the organization and don't worry about people who just don't get what you do. Don't, don't waste your time. Isn't that interesting? In your example, 90% could definitely fit and 20% of those would be, you know, we absolutely love you. Yeah. We focus on this small group who will never be a fit. Let them go. Let them go. You know, and we've all been in scenarios where, I mean, I've been to public talks and stuff where someone's speaking and my eyes are about to roll out of the back of my head. I'm so bored. Does that mean that they're not doing a good job? No, not necessarily. It means that this talk, this content is not right for me at this moment. That's all it means. It's not a judgment on you as a person. So people, stop taking everything as an attack on your character. If you don't do well in a meeting, like let's say you screw up a presentation or let's say you even screw up some writing job, depersonalize this. It's not about you being a bad person. It's not about you being a bad presenter or you being a bad interviewer. It's about you did a bad interview. You had a bad presentation. That doesn't define who you are. So, yeah, exactly. It's, it it's was just, the action. It was yeah. you know the how you practice it, what you, the execution. It wasn't it, yeah, you, it just your character. Work. Yeah, totally cool. I like that. I like that shift. On that note, can you talk a little bit about specifically with women mm-hmm. in confidence and specifically this fear or feeling that you have to check all the boxes before you can go after X opportunity or before yeah. you feel qualified to do Y. It seems to be a really common thing that I've noticed over time mm-hmm. in, in coaching a lot of women. Mm-hmm. But I know you speak to this quite a yes. bit. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on it and how women can start working through that. Absolutely. So a few things. There are very specific research-backed information around what holds women back. We have the research. And the research shows that if a woman is looking at a job description and she does not have 100% of what is listed, she won't apply. Meanwhile, a guy, research shows, will look at that job description. If he has 60%, he'll say, hey, I'm good enough. So Women hold themselves to a completely unrealistic standard of perfection, of how we have to be. And a lot of this actually, perfectionism is a byproduct of imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. And it is a byproduct of, I have to be so perfect so nobody knows that I'm really a phony. And the funny thing about imposter syndrome is that people who suffer from it are the opposite of imposters. They are the real deal. And so the first thing is, ladies, believe in yourself enough to give it a shot. You might not get it, but hey, you might have a door open for you. And that could be pretty cool to have a conversation and learn from someone in the process. The other thing that I'll recommend to women, if you are working with a company right now or you are inside of a company right now, I want you to consider networking vertically and put less focus on networking laterally. We see very commonly with women that they will network and spend time with people who are at their level. I want you to go one to two levels above you. And I want you to start making friends with the people up there because those are actually the decision makers. Those are the people that are going to sign your contract. Those are the people that need to understand your worth. 
those are the people who will actually help you rise and get bigger deals or move up in the company. So please network vertically. Men do this, but women do not do it as much. And it's a really key skill that we can learn. Wow. That's a great point. I think the more you do it, the more you get to talking with these people, which means that you're more confident when you are talking to prospective clients. Yeah. And remember, everyone's the same. No one's better or worse than you. So we got to get out of our heads with this whole thing about, oh, I could never talk to them. Why can't you? Maybe your kids go to soccer together. Maybe, you know, they hang out at your local coffee shop. Are they that different from you? Nope. They're not. They're just like you. And when we get out of that mode of putting people on pedestals, it gets a lot easier to talk to people. One thing that I've used quite a bit unknowingly is when I really need to muster that confidence is to network with people like that, for instance, who feel like they're on that pedestal. And especially when I don't realize I'm putting on that pedestal is ask mm-hmm. myself, what would so-and-so do? Somebody who would have zero trouble, you know, right? Talking to that individual, having a conversation with them, approaching them. Yeah. And that really gives me the clarity that I need to just go ahead and go for it. I love that. What would someone, yeah, exactly. That's a wonderful way to put it. And remember, never underestimate the importance of people wanting to talk about themselves. People love talking about themselves. And so if you have some good conversation openers in your back pocket, it is very easy generally to get people to open up and to learn more, gain intel, gain information where you can see how you can serve them in the future. Absolutely. And not just in a network situation, but also when you're talking with a prospect, right? Yeah. That, that's not about you. That's about them. And that's I tell right. you, if you're introverted, even better as an introvert, you're better equipped to ask better questions and listen, as opposed mm. to an extrovert who wants to dominate the conversation. It's just the wrong thing to do in these yep. situations, right? Yeah. That's such a great point. Truly. To piggyback off that, when you are going through the prospecting and sales proposal process, stop talking. Stop (laughs) talking. Listen. People will give you so much information if you stop talking and start listening. One of the greatest pieces of advice I can say about that is when you're talking about budget and things, first, I always want to get their budget before I propose a number. Again, we're talking about what the value is to them. And one of the ways that we can do this, one of the techniques is when you're asking what someone's budget is, or when you're asking a question and you don't want to answer, ask the question and pause for at least four seconds, just uncomfortable silence. Yes. And if four seconds feels like an eternity, but it does, that uncomfortable silence will force them to respond. And so get comfortable being uncomfortable because it's a pretty cool technique. You can use that, you know, right today in your life, you can go use that when you don't want to respond to someone and, you know, answer your own question, so to speak. And I guarantee you, they will speak up. Yeah. So guys, you can use this right now for the one you've probably heard from me before, which is great. What kind of budget are you working with? And then just shut up. Shut up. Right? The tendency is like, because it depends and, you know, no, 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 no. No. What kind of budget are you working with? Yes. And just listen. (laughs) This is great, Laura. Any final thoughts on this issue of just confidence and going after and just growing and just allowing yourself to learn and not trying to get everything perfect? 
Yeah, there's no such thing as perfection. Perfection is a guise for imposter syndrome. Just iterate, try. One of the things that I have learned to embrace in my life is that every day is another draft and I'm just going to keep drafting. And I give myself permission to improve upon my drafts day after day. Treat it like a game. If you have to, treat it like a game. You're just having fun. Life is a game. Play around with it. You know, do what you love. That's it. Just enjoy it. And don't take it so seriously. The money will come in. Don't worry about the money. The money will come in. The more that you keep practicing, that you keep playing the game, that you keep having fun and being authentic to who you are, quite honestly. Laura, this has been wonderful advice. I really appreciate you sharing these ideas with us. I want to be able to send people to you and learn more about you and your work. Can you tell us more where I can send them? Absolutely. So everyone, if you want to learn more about me, you can actually check out my podcast. It is called Brave by Design. You can also head over to bravebydesign.net to see more from me. I do weekly Facebook Lives in my Facebook group where we talk about all kinds of fun stuff to help ambitious women and allies learn to live well and lead well. So that is open to men and women. And you can find more at bravebydesign.net. Perfect. We'll make sure to include that link in the show notes. So thank you again. This has been a wonderful talk. I've enjoyed the discussion very much. Thank you, Ed. I've had a lot of fun with you. The High Income Business Writing Podcast is a production of B2B Business Launcher. Learn more at b2blauncher.com.